housing, both affordable rent and ownership. What is it, who qualifies for it, and what are the different products being delivered? Hello and welcome to Talking Property with CBRE, a podcast in which our team of experts share their real estate insights. My name is Natasha Sarka, Director of Structured Transactions and Advisory Services, and I'm joined here today with Tamba Carlton, the Research Manager in CBRE New Zealand. Thanks for joining me, Tamba. Thanks for having me on the show. In this episode, Tamba and I are going to define affordable housing and look at what needs to be done to activate this sector. Let's get started. I guess we should start with defining affordable housing. From my perspective, I guess people often get it confused with state housing. And so a good way to look at, I think, is as a housing continuum. So on one end, we've got state or otherwise known as sort of social housing, which is subsidised or has government assistance. Often in New Zealand, we've seen that as sort of housing New Zealand stock. Um, And then you move along to affordable housing, which I think sits in the middle. And then on the other end is market housing. And when I talk about all all three of these, I mean, it can be mortgages, it can be ownership, or it can be rented products. And when we look at the market end, you know, that's just whatever's being delivered on the open market by private developers. And in between is affordable. So this is what may or may not necessarily around the world be delivered with state assistance. So we have CHIPS or community housing providers in New Zealand and Australia. And it can also, in some instances, especially in the UK, be delivered by private housing that is sometimes required through planning or other legislation for that city. Tamba, from your view and your experience in New Zealand? um, Well, I definitely agree with a housing continuum and that progression from social to affordable to market. Mm -hmm. I do see affordable as the one that's the least supported, but it's also the one that has the greatest need for support currently. With who is intended for each segment, I think that it really comes down to income. So the minimum wage right now is about $40,000 a year, but the current market rent is $580 a week which means you really have to be earning $100,000 a year to afford that because that's 30% of income. There's global consensus, isn't it? Mm. 30% of income is affordable. Of gross household income. Yeah, yeah, if you're spending that on housing costs. So the affordable segment of the market is really for people earning between 40 and 100. There's about a third of New Zealand households that are earning that segment, 36% of renter households and 29% of owner households. So there's need for both affordable rent and affordable ownership. But so far, most of the focus has been on affordable ownership. And to add to that, in Australia, it's the same metric. So in their planning environment app, it's defined as 30% of gross household income. And across different states, based on, you know, as you said, affordability and median incomes and rents, that's income band driven of people on very low, low and moderate incomes. Yeah. So I guess that's a sort of consensus. Um, 30% of gross household income is defined as affordable. Um, In the UK, it's defined in planning, similarly in planning legislation. So there's a section 106 agreement and for every single development, it's looked at on a case-by-case basis. But the overarching idea is the Mayor of London's mandate was for 30 to 35% of any new build development being affordable. And that can mean ownership, um, which we're starting to see come through New Zealand in terms of shared equity. In the UK, there's a similar program. There's help to buy. And then the rented product, there's London Living Rent, which again is income-driven or borough income-driven, and discounted market rent, which is 80% of the market rent for that unit. 
So I guess you can define it through legislation, you can define it through income bans, and in the US actually it, the products come through through tax credits. Yeah, yeah, the um, low-income housing tax credit has been the most successful for delivering affordable housing. There's over 5 million affordable units because of that program. Um, there's also a voucher where um, if you qualify, then you can pay the proportion of your income on rent and the local housing authority will make up the shortfall. Another metric globally is when we look at mortgages in terms of the price earnings to the price of that house. Globally, that's sit somewhere but preferably below five a five times multiple. But if we look across New Zealand and like you know Australia and many countries around the world, affordability of housing isn't a question. Uh, in Auckland, that sits at a nine times multiple. In Hamilton, Wellington, seven times, and in Christchurch, around that five time multiple. Yeah, so there's real lessons to be learned from Christchurch about mm-hmm. how they have so much affordable housing, and it's it's because after the earthquake construction of new housing got a lot more permissive, understandably, because they lost a lot of their housing stock. So houses were popping up everywhere, which meant that supply was very elastic in relation to demand. So New Zealand doesn't really have a lot of affordable rent, certainly not to the same degree that Europe and the America does. Um, We have had a bit of activity with shared equity over the past few years. So the Housing Foundation has done some really great work helping families who uh, can't access home ownership but would like to. So the way it works is they purchase about 75% of the house and then they pay out the housing foundation over maybe 10 years to eventually own 100% of the house. So that helps get them over that hurdle where the market means that they can't quite get there without support. So affordable ownership has really been boosted by that shared equity program. A very similar thing in the UK, and it's uh, known as sort of staircasing, staircasing up that from a rental product, part rented, part ownership. I guess now that we've defined it, we know it's a big segment of the market, you know, what's the investment case for affordable housing? Well, there's huge, huge fundamental underlying demand for affordable housing, and that's what's driven a lot of the investment globally. And it's what will eventually come to New Zealand. So there's really three main reasons for investment in affordable housing. The first is that it's got global investment possibilities. And that's because every major city around the world needs affordable housing. That's a problem that very rarely ever goes away. So global investment possibility. The second is really stable returns, even in times of crisis. So arguably during the GFC, the need for affordable housing went up even further because people were losing their jobs and their homes and they needed somewhere to live. So investment in the year after the GFC more than doubled to $13 billion dollars. The third reason for global investment is the shift towards mandated socially responsible investing. So there's a real desire from retail investors and from larger corporate investors to have a positive social impact in their investment. And I don't know about you, but I've shifted all of my shares to the responsible (laughs) fund just recently. (laughs) I guess you'd say, you know, there's been a lot of a focus and focus and news on sustainable climate change, people mandating that, requiring that from their funds. 
And now hopefully we'll start seeing a shift where people want investments into, if they're investing into real estate, they want housing solutions. Most definitely. Um, I think we've already seen that recently come through with the Australian Super Fund. They're working with Australian providers focusing on the affordable segment of the market and said that they will invest in build-to-rent schemes specifically that are on that spectrum of that continuum that are purpose-built for rent to buy. Mm. It's quite interesting what Portland have done. I mean, they've always been quite forward-thinking in, in their urban solutions. but um, In the US, Portland? Portland oh, yeah. and Oregon, yeah. They've um, recently changed their legislation to allow you to do four houses on a plot or six if at least half are affordable. So that means that really makes the affordable inclusion quite competitive and means more developers will choose to do affordable housing because it means they can do more on their site. And another thing to consider as another tool is leveling the playing field. So in the UK, by requiring it for every site, whether it's ownership or rent, requiring people to deliver affordable housing or otherwise they're not going to get planning permission, it levels that playing field. It's just a norm. It becomes the norm to deliver affordable housing as 30% of your stock. And it's just done and delivered. There's mixed housing. People do use other levers to to activate that. So you might put the affordable units on the lower levels of the scheme. So, you know, that, that assists values or perhaps they're the least desirable views facing the railway rather than the River Thames. So there's other sort of levers that you can use and include these units in these schemes. So I think we'll continue on with this rest of this podcast on this middle segment, that affordable segment. And one more point I actually wanted to add in defining that is there's a bit of a blur between where the state comes in because in an ideal world, whenever you need to get some sort of government subsidy, then it should sit you know, a bit more on the left side. In the ideal world, we want to move towards the market delivering this affordable product. But for now, with the likes of CHIPS and community housing providers and housing associations in the UK and Australia and New Zealand, that is a bit blurred. So you know, we're not to say that affordable housing in the middle isn't stock that's delivered by community housing providers. So these sort of tools in the middle, um, be it help to buy or shared equity, are ways of bridging that affordable segment. I think what's interesting to know or to recognise is Australia and New Zealand seem to be in a similar place of the affordable market, which isn't you know, heavily defined. It is in Australia and through um, legislation, but there isn't a lot of stock coming through. Um, to look at the US and the UK, we can kind of see what they're doing different. In the US, it's a huge sector, and that is because of tax credits that has stimulated the affordable market from the 80s. In the UK, planning requirements define affordable housing. So say in central London, um, for the Mayor of London requires somewhere in the order of any new build development, whether it's ownership or rent, has to provide 35% affordable. Now, if that's a build-to-sell scheme, 30% of that stock has to be helped to buy or shared equity, which Tamba touched on upon before, and those are different bands. You know, in London, that's under £600,000. And similarly, with build-to-rent schemes, that's achieved through 30% of the units being at the London living rent or at discounted market rents. 
So, you know, that gives every development a level playing field. All sites are required to deliver it. And so it is delivered by market participants, which is where we really want to move to. It's really interesting that um, those private market participants have to do affordable housing because we used to have that. We had that as temporary legislation before the enactment of the unitary plan. And it was called special housing areas. So private developers had two choices where they were required to include affordable housing. The first choice was that they could do a certain proportion of units at 75% of the median price in that area. And the other one was that they could do it at 30% of income for rental or mortgage. Basically, most people chose the 70% of median house price because it was a lot easier to do without subsidy. They basically provided studio units that were south-facing with no car park, which, yes, they were 75% of the median house price, but they were probably quite similar on a dollar per square metre basis to the market rate units in the building. So it was great because it brought in some below average priced units where supply was really needed and it still gave developers a profitable development. Okay, well then looking at, say, ownership, right? So, you know, what do you think is more important, affordable ownership or affordable rent? They're both important. I mean, there's more renters in that 40 to 100 income band than there are owners, but you want people to progress on the continuum. So you don't want people to be in social housing forever. You want to support them into affordable rent and then into market rent and then into affordable ownership and then market ownership. Also, if they want to move along that spectrum, you know, not, exactly. it's not to say that it's to provide people with options and provide different tenures yes. because, you know, ownership's not for everyone. People have mm-hmm. different lifestyle choices. They might want to, you know, save for their retirement with chassis. Exactly. Um, I mean, owning a home is a, is a major financial responsibility. It really ties you down and, and people are delaying home ownership um, partly because they can't afford it, but also because they like the freedom of their renting lifestyle. Um, which is where built to rent has been particularly successful in sort of transient cities where people are likely to maybe be working there for five years. They don't want to necessarily buy, but they still want a good quality of living. Yeah. So I guess you're saying both ownership and rent is important. Yeah, exactly. I guess before we run out of time, the last sort of point that I wanted to touch upon is just that sort of focus on that housing continuum. And ideally that middle segment, that affordable segment we're talking about in the future, you know, the ideology is for that middle segment to be delivered by the market. Sure, for now, we have the likes of community housing providers or housing associations that are part subsidizing it. But ideally, we want social slash state to be delivered with housing or government subsidies, the affordable segment by market participants, be it in the UK through planning requirements for those market participants to deliver as part of their predominantly market scheme. And then the market is, of course, delivered by market participants and to give people that the spectrum of choice, right, whether it's ownership or rental um, based on their personal investment requirements, wherever they want choose to live, what part of their life they're at, giving people more options and I guess, bringing to attention that middle segment that is not being sufficiently catered for currently. Well, that's been a great episode. From Tasha and I, a big thank you to all our listeners for joining us today. If you like the show and want to check out more, visit cbre.com.au forward slash talking dash property or subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Talking Property with CBRE. Until next time.